What's up, Saul Company? It's good to be here this week with you guys. Yes. My, my name is Colin. I am on staff here with Salt Company. Thank you guys for making the trek out here, but it feels just like home, like with the globe lights in a fellowship hall. I love that. Um, yeah, we are in the third week of our foundation series. And in our foundation series, we are going through four weeks of, and we're going to tell you what we're about here at Salt Company. So this is the third week, and I'm going to talk to you guys today about the life of Jesus. But in order to really understand what we're going to talk about today, I want to give you guys a little bit of review of what we talked about the last two weeks in case you've forgotten or you weren't here. So two weeks ago, Drake preached on the awesomeness of God, right? He talked about how God is the uncreated creator, how he's glorious, how he's perfect. And then last week, Drew preached on humanity, how we as humans are both incredibly valuable, but we're also profoundly broken. And I want you guys to feel the tension in that, that God is perfect, that he's holy, that he loves us, but that we are incredibly broken. And I'm hoping that today I can help start to resolve that tension. So, we don't have a screen, so work, work with us today. Open your Bibles to Mark. If you don't have a Bible, there are blue Bibles um, under your seats. We're going to be in chapter 14 or page 497 uh, in the blue Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that blue Bible home. That's our gift to you. Uh, as you turn there, I want to tell you guys a quick story. So when I was an undergraduate student at the University of Minnesota, I worked with the basketball team. I was a basketball manager, and it was, it was really fun. Got to do a lot of really cool things. Um, got to, yeah, got to know the players really well. Got to know the coaches really well. Um, and I even got to travel with the team, which was really cool. Got to travel around the country. But it was always the worst when you were traveling home from a loss, right? Like, I don't know if you guys played sports or not, but we hated losing. You never wanted to talk to coaches after a loss. The flight home felt twice as long. So I remember one specific time after a loss, we were traveling home, we're in the security line, I'm making sure that I have the team bags, that I have my bags, right, there are a million things going through my mind, and the security guard at the front of the line says, hey, if you guys could all get out your IDs, that would make this go faster, we're just trying to get home, I reach for my back pocket, and I don't have my wallet. All right, so I'm freaking out now, like, I don't have my ID. How am I going to get on this plane? Like, all these things are, are going through my head. I'm, I'm looking through the backpack. I get out of the line. I run to the bus. I'm asking my roommate, why in the world would you have my ID? I have no idea, but I'm in desperation mode. And so I'm, I'm freaking out. By this point, everyone's on the plane except for a couple coaches, one being Coach Patino. I'm back in line. I have no way of showing an ID Coach Patino looks at me and he says, Colin, what's wrong? So in this moment, I'm like, I am going to have to Uber home from Michigan. Like I, like, I have no way of getting home. This is, this is a problem. I said, Coach, I don't have my ID. I can't get on this plane. And he turns his gaze from me and looks at the security guard and says, let Colin on the plane. He's with me. And Coach Patino has the authority 
to just say, hey, he's with me. He can get on the plane, right? Like in my own ability, I could not get on that plane because I didn't have my ID. But because I knew Coach Patino, I could get on the plane. In the same way, we can gain access to the Father simply because we know Jesus. So that is what I want to talk about today. If you know Jesus, you can gain access to the Father. So we're going to see this today in three different ways. First, that Jesus had perfect union with the Father. And then he gave it up to walk to a cross where he was crucified. And then, three days later, he conquered the grave. And that reality will profoundly change our lives if we know Jesus. All right, so we're going to jump right in. Mark 14 Verses 35 and 36. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, he being Jesus, Abba, Father. All right, I want, I want to stop right there. I, I don't want to go any further yet because those two words are super important. Like it might not seem like it to you today because when you hear people pray, a lot of times people are like Heavenly Father or Father God, right? Like we say Father all the time, but 2,000 years ago, no one called God Father. Because Jesus, in calling God Father, said, I have access to the Father. I have access to God and I can even call him Father. Like people were going after Jesus for this very claim that he called God, the creator of all things, his father. But for Jesus, it was his reality. He considered himself equal with God because he was God's son. With just these two words, we can answer the question, who is Jesus? That he's the son of God. So that's the first point today, that Jesus had this perfect union with the Father. Like Jesus had always been with the Father. Drake, two weeks ago, talked about how he's the uncreated creator, that he's existed for all of time, and with God the Father was Jesus. He was right there. Here's what John 1 says. It's how the whole book starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Even when Jesus came into earth in the form of a man, he was still perfectly divine. He still had this perfect relationship with the Father. And because of that, because he knew who his father was. He lived perfectly. Right? Like he never thought a bad thought. He never had a bad motive. He never spoke a bad word. He was perfect. So this is what helped me think about it. You guys know that person in your life that like when you're with them, life is just better? Like life, life is just better when you're with them. So this is essentially the relationship that Jesus has with the father. Except... Right, like for me, once I've spent a couple hours with that person, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm done now. Like, I'm, uh, <laughs> like my patience is running thin. We've started to disagree. Like, I'm trying to love you, but it's hard, right? Like, 
And maybe for you, it's a couple days. I don't know. Maybe you're way more loving than me. Maybe you like love that person a whole ton more than I love that person. But, but either way, eventually we get sick of that person. But Jesus and the Father never got sick of each other. They've been with each other for all of eternity. They've always agreed and they've always loved. So one of those people for me is, is my dad. I don't know what your relationship with your father is like, but I love my dad. If you guys ever come to Salt City Church on Sunday and you don't know my dad, you could probably pick him out because I look a ton like him. Like, you'd probably be able to pick him out of the crowd. It's happened before, like, hey, I met your dad today. And I was like, really? I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah, he looks just like you. Anyways, so my dad and I have had this relationship for 21 years, and we've gotten to do some really cool things together. One of the highlights is, is I traveled to London with my dad, and um, we have similar interests. And when my mom asks us what we want for dinner, like depending on the mood, depending on the day, my dad and I will look at each other and say the exact same thing. Like if, if it's like a casual night, we don't want to make anything, it's like, oh, like let's go to Blaze Pizza. Or, or my dad and I will look at each other and be like, oh, we're grilling burgers tonight. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time that my dad and I, because we're so in sync with one another, we have a union with each other. But I've only known my dad for 21 years. And like I only remember probably 15 of those years. And we're imperfect. Like my dad is not perfectly loving towards me and I'm not perfectly loving towards my dad. But Jesus and God the Father have had this perfect union for all of time and they are perfectly loving. Like, imagine the bond of that relationship. We honestly cannot comprehend it. We can't fully understand it. So let's look back at Mark, back at verses 35 and 36. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So for a little background, Jesus has just had this meal with his 12 closest friends where he said, one of you is going to betray me. Right? And then he, then he goes to this garden to pray because he's about to be betrayed by his friends and he cries out to God and he says, Abba, Father, and then he talks about this cup. And it's like, what is he, like, what is Jesus talking about here? This cup, what Jesus is referring to is he's staring at the reality that for the first time in all of eternity past, he might be separated from his father. In other gospels, it says that Jesus was sweating blood. Like Jesus, his emotions are going so fast in his body that he starts to sweat blood just by thinking about the reality of being separated from his father. Now, I hope you're asking yourself, why does Jesus, the, this perfect man who's beloved by his father, why does he have to be separated from his father? Because someone had to pay the price for sin and the penalty of sin is separation from God. 
So that leads us in to our second point, which is the justice of the cross. So Jesus, after he's in this garden, is arrested. He's betrayed by one of his best friends, sold out for just a little bit of money. He's arrested and he's sentenced to death. As the people in the city shout, crucify him, crucify him. Right, and so for a little history, Romans 2,000 years ago were professional killers. They knew exactly how to kill someone. They'd actually leave them alive for long enough to inflict the most amount of pain that they possibly could. So I'm just going to give you a glimpse at what this time looked like for Jesus. First, they tied him to a pole And they gave him 39 lashes. They thought 40 lashes would kill a man. So if 40 is going to kill him, let's do 39. These lashes were long leather strips with little metal pellets tied to the end. One after another, exposing his back from his shoulders to his knees. There were people who were crucified that didn't make it past the lashing. It was so painful. Not only your skin, but muscles started to get pulled away. And then after that, they placed a crown of thorns on his head and pushed it until he felt the needles in his skull as blood dripped down his face. And then they spit on him and mocked him, said, King of the Jews, if you're king, save yourself. And then they put a 50 to 60 pound piece of wood on his back and said, carry it to the place where you will be crucified. And he is so weak from all the torture that he can't even carry it. So as the splinters from the wood go in his back, someone else has to take it for him. He finally gets to the hill where he's going to die. They stretch out his arms and they put nails in between each wrist and in his feet. And then, if you don't know how you actually die when you're crucified, you don't die instantly by hanging on a cross. You suffocate slowly. In order to get a breath, you have to push up on the on, the, on your legs that have been beaten, on your legs where the back of them is exposed, on the legs where there are nails through them, and you have to push up just for a gasp of breath before you fall back down. That's the king of the universe on a cross. And after all of this, Jesus cries out, but I want you to listen to why he cries out. This is Mark Chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Jesus has now spent hours on the cross, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Jesus isn't crying out because of the pain. He's crying out because of the separation. 
Why is God leaving the presence of his own son? Because the price for sin, the price for your sin was death and with death separation from a holy and good God. Because today, I, in my words, in my actions, in my thoughts, have put Jesus on the cross. And yours have too. Like the selfishness, the pride, the lust, the anxiety, all the junk in my life put Jesus on the cross. I deserve to be hanging on the cross. I deserve to be separated from God, not just now, but for forever. For the rest of time, I deserve to be separated from a holy and good God. And so do you. You deserve to be hanging on that painful cross. And what would be more painful than the actual pain would be the separation from a good God. So I want to give you a review of what's just happened. The creator stepped into creation and was put to death by the very people he came to save. And we would have done the same thing. Why does it have to be Jesus? Because he wanted to save you. Because he didn't want you to go through the pain, so he took it on himself. Here's a funny story that reminded me of it. Catch your breath. We'll, we're getting light again. So a few of you guys came, back, came, back to my ca- came up to my cabin this last weekend, right? Okay, I, I was hoping for a little cheer, a little, little love there. That's fine. Um, and in my cabin, if you didn't come, it's fine. There's a, there's a kitchen table, and above the kitchen table is this wooden lamp. And this wooden lamp my grandma loves. Like, it's this really unique, um, like, old wooden lamp that's super delicate. And, and above my kitchen in, at the cabin is this loft. And I loved playing in the loft as a kid. I loved it. And so one, one day after a meal, I was, I was supposed to stay at the table. I didn't. I went up to the loft. I was playing with stuffed animals. You know, what little kids do, good stuff. And... I thought it'd be a good idea to like play catch with my dad, right? I'm in the loft, my dad's still at the table. Wasn't a baseball prodigy, so I threw the stuffed animal down, like, hey dad, catch. And I hit the lamp, and the lamp shattered. Like, the lamp was everywhere in the kitchen table. Like, it was bad. My grandma was furious. My mom was mad. My dad was mad. My grandpa, you know, was doing his grandpa thing. Was like, yeah, whatever, stuff happens. (laughs) Um... But I, like, I had to fix this problem, right? Like I needed to fix this problem. I should have spent the rest of the weekend at the cabin, at the kitchen table with glue, piecing together this lamp that I broke. But what happened instead? My dad spent the rest of his weekend at the table piecing together the lamp that I broke. Like, do you get the point that we should have been hanging on the cross, but that Jesus did it for us because he loves us? 
So I, I hope you're asking yourself like, oh, Colin, I, I think point two was the justice of the cross. What you have said seems to be the opposite of justice. It seems like the greatest injustice in history. Why did you call it justice? Because God said that it was just. Because God said that the only atonement for imperfection was perfection. And the only way to achieve perfection would be to send my very own son. Like, if you believe this, if you believe that you've sinned against a holy God, that we had no ability to fix the problem on our own so that God sent his son into creation to die in your place. If you actually believe that, that will profoundly, profoundly change your life. Thank you. Thank you for that. So the third point is the new reality that we get to live in. Let's go back to Mark, Mark 15, 37 to 39. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The king of the universe has now died. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who was the very man that killed Jesus, stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this was the son of of God. So, I talked about this curtain in the middle there, and you're probably like, yeah, that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. I don't understand it. But it's actually one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible. All the verses in the Bible are beautiful, but this one is awesome. And so I'm going to give you a little history. In the Old Testament, God wanted to dwell with his people, but he was too holy for their sin. And so he made his dwelling in the temple. And inside the temple, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And God dwelled in there. But no ordinary person could just walk into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest, the most religious person there, could enter into the Holy of Holies. But before he did that, he had to physically clean himself. He then had to spiritually clean himself. And even then, He would tie a rope around his ankle in case when he stepped into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God was too powerful that it killed him. Like that is the separation between God's holiness and our sin. We couldn't have been in the presence of God. But now in an instant, in a moment, this curtain is torn in two. God no longer dwells in a single place. He can dwell with us by the blood of Jesus. We now have access to the presence of God. But I have a question. We have access to the presence of God, but does death still have the final say? Jesus, at this point, is still dead. Mark 16, starting at verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, 
When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Okay, your Bible might say that early manuscripts didn't have the remaining verses. I think Mark did this intentionally. I think Mark ended his gospel here intentionally. It leaves us on a cliffhanger. Why does he end with trembling and astonishment? Like, why, why were they trembling and astonished? And you're probably like, Colin, a man just walked out of the grave. You'd be trembling and astonished too. It's like, yeah, but these women knew Jesus. These women had walked with Jesus. And he said to them, he was like, hey, guys, I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to walk out of the grave. Don't be surprised by that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Jesus. And then again, he was like, hey, guys, just so you know, I'm going to die and I'm going to walk out of the grave. And they're like, yeah, okay, Jesus, whatever. So what changed? Like what in this moment changed for them? For the first time, they finally believed that Jesus is who he said he is. That he was the son of God. That he was the only way to gain access to the father. That he didn't die for himself, but that he died for them. And then that he walked out of the tomb because death could not hold him. And it changed their lives. So the question for you is, do you actually believe Jesus is who he says he is? Like, and I know some of you grew up hearing about Jesus. I know some of you have called yourself a Christian for your whole life. But do you react to the resurrection of Jesus like the women at the tomb reacted to the resurrection of Jesus? Like, are you still trying to earn your way to God? Do you actually think that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Like, is he actually the Lord of your life? Or are you still trying to lord over your own life? Please listen to me. Jesus did not just die for them. He did not just die for me. He died for you too. And the fact that he walked out of the grave changes everything. 
All right, this helped me think about death versus Jesus. Imagine a little league team walking into target field. Like, yeah, we're about to play the Minnesota Twins. Right, like, it's not a fair fight. They play by different rules. They're too young. They're too small. They don't even fully know how to play the game yet. And that t-ball team had a, has a better chance of beating the Twins than death ever had at beating Jesus. Thank you. Death never stood a chance versus Jesus. That changes our lives. Like, we no longer have to be chained to pride and to lust and to anxiety and to selfishness. Cancer and sin and death no longer have the final say if you know Jesus. We can enter into God's family. Imagine if you'd been a slave your whole life. If every day you woke up and you went to work and you were subject to the voice of your master. And then when the workday was done, you went back and you were physically and figuratively chained. And day after day, you did the same thing. And then all of a sudden, the wealthiest man in the state comes to you and he says, I want to buy your freedom. He buys your freedom and before you walk away, he grabs your hand and he says, I don't just want you to be free. I want you to be my son. And I want you to be my daughter. I want to give you my inheritance. I have all this wealth and I want to give it to you. Like, how would your mentality change? You'd no longer wake up with fear, you'd wake up with freedom. You'd no longer wake up with intimidation, you'd wake up with celebration. If you know Jesus, that is your reality. That you were, and if you don't know Jesus, you are chained to the sin in your lives. You are subject to sin as your master. And Jesus wants to pay for your freedom. He bought it with his blood 2,000 years ago and he's inviting you into his family. And that will change everything. Here's what Galatians 4, it summarizes it so beautifully, says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Guys, we can call God Father. We can be weak and on our knees and in need and call God Father because of what Jesus has done. God, the owner of the entire universe, the creator who holds the world in his hands, wants to make you an heir. 
He wants to give you what he has to offer. And the best part is he wants to spend eternity with you. And that's the best possible place to be, is with God. Guys, I, I had the chance to believe this yesterday. Yesterday I went and then visited my uncle and 12 months ago, my uncle was playing golf and lifting weights every day at 6 a.m. And I walked in the door and he couldn't even stand up. I walked in the door and I literally saw the bones in his body through his skin because he is so weak. Six months ago, my uncle was diagnosed with cancer. We didn't really know how bad it was until about a month ago when we realized that my uncle only had a few weeks to live. This man that's had a profound impact on my life, and I probably just saw him for the last time yesterday. And you know what he said to me? He said, Colin, people are asking me if I am nervous to die. And he said, no. He said, I am not nervous to die because I'm not leaving home, I'm going home. Because I am gonna die and then I'm gonna wake up and I am gonna see Jesus face to face. I don't wanna be here anymore. I wanna be with Jesus. That is the impact of the resurrection of Jesus. The cancer might be beating his body, but it is not beating his soul. The story of Jesus is the story of the entire Bible. Every page of this book points to Jesus. And the resurrection is the climax of the book. It's the climax of all of human existence. It's changed the face of the earth. It has changed my life and it can change your life too. Because if you know Jesus, the story of the cross is no longer a story of loss, it's a story of love. It's no longer a story of separation, it's a story of reconciliation. It's your story. Your story is no longer a story of death. It is a story of life. So no matter where you are, I just want to invite you to life with Jesus because it's the best life that you could possibly live. Let's pray. God, you are holy. You are amazing. You are loving. And the fact that you are here with us amazes me. I love being in your family. I love that you call me a son. Jesus, I'm sorry 
that I've sinned. I'm sorry that I put you on the cross. But I love the truth in Romans. You said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to be changed by that truth, Jesus. I want to be changed when I look at your death and at your resurrection. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.